we're spending time in the book of First Thessalonians. And we're doing that because we believe that when we spend time together in Scripture, uh, that's one of the ways that God helps us grow. And this is a difficult season in many ways, but it's still a time when God means to see us growing. Last week, uh, we focused on the content of the gospel. And today, we're going to look at the conduct of the gospel. How we live differently when we receive the good news and then begin growing in the work of faith and the labor of love and in steadfastness of hope. What we're going to see is that the gospel is not primarily ideas to believe, but it's an open door to a new way of being in the world. So that when we go through it, God uses us to show others who he is. Have you ever spent time with someone who makes it easier for you to believe that God is good? Just in the way that they carry themselves, something about their being makes you trust that God has you in his hands and that everything's going to be okay. When you're with them, somehow you know that God's forgiveness really is for you. And his love holds you and his grace is there beneath your feet and you don't need to worry. Have you spent time with someone like that? This is George Terezakis. George is a tour guide in Greece in the city of Thessalonica. I met George at the airport when my family and I and our friends, Brian and Carrie, landed there. He was the tour guide who was randomly assigned to us on that day. We got in his van. He started driving us toward the downtown port area of Thessalonica. And then he asked us, what are you interested in seeing while you're here in the city for the day? My friend Brian answered first, anything that is mentioned in the Bible. Now, George looked in his rearview mirror and he asked, are you Christians? I explained that Michelle and I are both pastors. He smiled. He turned his blinker on. He headed away from the downtown up a hill. And then as we got out of the van, he told us, I have brought you to a very special place. Today is a holiday in Greece. It's the day that we celebrate the Apostle Paul. It just happened to be June 29th when we were there in 2019. That was St. Paul's day. He had brought us to Jason's house. (laughs) The very place where the letter that we're studying was first read. When we got inside, he took a prayer book and he opened it up. That's what he's holding here in this photo. And from it, he sang in Greek a prayer that praised God for his faithfulness and his grace. And he could sing. Everyone in that place got quiet and was blessed by his voice. When he closed the prayer book, he explained to us that his father had been a priest in Thessalonica for 51 years. And for the rest of the day, he took us to all the places that were important to him as a Christian in that city where he had lived his whole life. Uh, This is the church of St. Sophia, his father's church where he served as a priest. When we were there, George explained that one of the things that he was most proud of his father for was a ministry that he had started for widowers in the city. Old men whose wives had died and therefore had a really hard time taking care of themselves. His father's ministry was providing meals for men like that. You don't have to be rich 
to help people who are poor. You don't have to be wealthy to do good. George told us that that's what his father had always said. We left there. We went to the old marketplace in Thessalonica, the very place where the synagogue that Paul first came to would have been. When we were there, uh, George took us to the favorite vendor who sells pistachio nuts, and he bought a bag for us, and he was happy to share that with us. We went from there to his favorite restaurant for lunch. When we sat down, he called the owner over. He, he exchanged words with him in Greek. The man looked at us and smiled, and then he went away and came back with a gigantic plate of the most delicious meat I've ever had. And he followed that with two large trays of the special homemade bread. Uh, George turned to Michelle, and he asked her to bless the meal for us, which she did. And then we had a great time together. And afterward, George closed the meal by praying that God would bless us because we were together in Thessalonica. And that God would build us up for the ministry that we had back in the United States. In a way, George was actually praying for you. That was for me one of the highlights of my entire trip. Because George made it easier for me to believe that God is good just because of who he was. The way he carried himself made it easy to trust that God had me in his hands. It, it renewed me for the work of faith that I know God wants me to do. It made me want to love well like I saw him loving me and the other people around us. It made me hopeful to know that there are Christians in the world like George. God wants you to grow so that you have the effect that George had on me, on the people that you interact with day in and day out. That's what God wants. Open uh, your Bibles to the first letter of Thessalonians. Paul's goal was to see the folks in Thessalonica growing in faith, love, and hope, so that they would become people who made it easy for others to trust God through the way they behaved, through the kind of people they were becoming in the world as the gospel was shaping them. This aim of Paul's is stated directly in the second chapter down in verse 12. Find your way there. In the second half of that verse, Paul writes this. This is what God wants that you lead a life worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Lead a life there in Greek is the word peripetain. It literally means walk about. It's one of Paul's favorite metaphors for life because as you know, life is like a journey and walking is one step at a time. It's something which you do on purpose and other people can see when you are walking. The gospel that Paul delivered there is something that you are meant to walk. Not merely content to believe, but conduct which will be seen by others in the world around you. Good news that shapes and transforms everything about the way you carry yourself in life. Your walk should be, look again, worthy of God. Now, worthy is axios in Greek. It literally means to bring up the beam into equilibrium. Envision a balance scale. That's what Paul has in his mind. When comparing two quantities on a scale, one is axios or worthy of the other when they 
balance each other out, when they weigh the same, when they correspond to one another. On one side of the scale that Paul has in his mind is the calling and invitation of God who summons all of us by his grace to become people who through his divine mercy have a part in his mission. Not because of anything we've done, but because everything that he has done, he calls us and says, you're going to help me build the kingdom right here. You are going to be the way I seek and save those who are lost. That is what glorifies God. When, when lost sheep are returned and recovered and in his arms. God is the one who turns failure into success, the one who turns guilt on its head and makes it into innocence, the one who even turns death upside down. On one side of the scale is the gospel. On the other side is your walk and my walk. The way that we move through life one step at a time, visible to others and on purpose. Now, Paul's aim in this letter is for the folks in Thessalonica And for us too. And and trust me now, God didn't just speak back then through Paul. He speaks to us today right now. And your ears should be open to what he'll say to you. His aim is that our lives should be the kind of lives that not only believe the gospel, but become the gospel. So that our way of being makes it easy for others to trust that God is good. What does that kind of living look like? That's a very practical question which we should be asking. How would it look if I lived like that? Well, in this letter, we learned that the way that Paul lived with the people in Thessalonica was exactly how it should look. Further up in chapter 2, find your way back up from verse 12 to verse 5, and what we'll see there is that Paul reminded those friends of his what he was like when he was with them, because that's what worthy walking looks like. Verse 5 says this, As you know, and as God is our witness, we never came with words of flattery or with a pretext for greed, nor did we seek praise from mortals, whether from you or from others, though we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. Stop there. Three behaviors which are unworthy of the walk that God means for us to walk. Look at them carefully. The first is flattery. The second is greed. And the third is seeking praise. Uh, Make a mark in your Bible. Underline those, if you will. These three never, never were visible in the way that Paul and Silas were when they were with the folks in Thessalonica, and they remember it. And if our walk is going to become the gospel, these won't be a part of the way we are either. Let's take them one at a time. Flattery first. We may think of flattery as saying the nicest thing possible, always being polite. Paul has something much more in mind here. The flatterer is the man who endears himself to others by always only saying what they want to hear, which may not be the same thing as what they need to hear. Do you know the difference? He does this because the most important thing to him is to please them or make them happy so that they'll like him. But when that is a person's aim with their words, it becomes almost impossible for them to be helpful to others. With my speech, I can either aim at pleasing you or profiting you, but never both. 
because the thing which is most profitable to you might often be the thing which is least pleasing to hear. In order for you to grow and change as you have to grow so that you show other people who God is, you need someone who will speak the truth to you often, saying that difficult thing that you don't want to hear, but you need to. The flatterer will never, ever do that. He will only ever join you in your vices and never push you forward toward the virtues that God wants to see growing in you. The, the life which is worthy of God, the, the one that is expressing the gospel, is a life which speaks the truth in love. Have you ever had someone do that for you? And it stings but it's the kind of wound that heals, yes? The life that Paul means to see growing in these folks as they express the gospel is one where we come alongside one another and say the truth that is not necessarily pleasing, but definitely profitable. And that's the first thing about walking worthy. It is a walk that leaves flattery behind. Let's look at the second word now, greed. We never came with a pretext for greed, Paul said. Greed is the inordinate desire for possessions. And it always ruins relationships. That's why greed is so detrimental. When I decide that possessions matter to me most, then people no longer matter to me as they should. And when that's my way of being in the world, then all of the folks around me, they become means to an end, which is my enrichment. Do these words sound familiar to you? Be on your guard against every kind of greed, for life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Jesus said that. And he said it in that way, because it's not just money that people can be greedy for. There are all kinds of things that we can try to acquire to make our lives better. But when greed is our way of walking, then people become things to us. And then we can't bear witness to the grace of God, who always regards every person as the man or woman that he sees them to be. Worthy walking leaves behind greed, too. Third is seeking praise. When my aim is to get applause from people, I can't be a benefit to them. I can only benefit myself, and I also can't follow Jesus anymore. Because on the path behind Jesus, I am challenged to make pleasing him my one and only goal. And when I want praise from other people, I can't really please Jesus anymore. You think about this simply. The person who wants praise or glory for himself prioritizes the opinion of the crowd and eventually what the crowd thinks of him becomes his master. And as Jesus says, no one can have two masters because you'll either love and serve the one and then hate and abhor the other and it can't be both. And with Jesus, it's either getting praise from the crowd or seeking to please this master. And life which is worthy of God, the one that is showing the gospel, is one that prioritizes pleasing Jesus. And sometimes that will mean no applause, but only blame from the crowd. But what, what Jesus wants for us and what Paul reminded them was happening in him was the kind of life that expressed the good news, the gospel, by refraining from these three. Now I want you to think of yourself for a moment. And really turn your eyes on your own way of walking through life. Be honest. Where do you find yourself tempted 
to flatter people so they like you. Rather than aiming to profit them, where does that happen for you? Maybe it's your, your relationship with your children. It's hard to say the hard things. Or a spouse. Or a friendship group. Or at work. What are you greedy for? What is that possession that drives you so much so that you disregard the humanity of the people around you to get it? Where are you more concerned with getting praise from others for yourself than pleasing Jesus? Whatever you see, those are the places where right now God is present through this word and through my words in our midst, in the power of his spirit, inviting you to take a step forward from where you are toward the kind of life that makes others see that he's good. Through your decision to turn away from these things so that your life becomes the gospel. These are the behaviors to cut out of your life. Now, Paul doesn't only say the things which he didn't do. And of course, the Christian life never is just a life of, here's the things that you should not do. He goes on from here to add the kind of behaviors that did characterize his way with them. Uh, in the second part of verse 7 and following, he goes on to add two images which show what he was like. And these are magnificent. I hope you take these images to heart and they shape your way of being with others. Look at the second half of verse 7. Here's the first image. But we were gentle among you like a nurse tenderly caring for her own children. In the first century, wealthy families often hired a wet nurse to care for their infants, to hold them, protect them, to nurture them, and to feed them. Picture a woman holding her own child. Did you notice he says, we were gentle like a nurse tenderly caring for her own children. A mother holding her infant and feeding that child from her own body. There is no image which is more tender or caring. Nothing which better captures complete investment and total service from one person to another than that picture. And Paul says here that this is how we decided to be when we were with you together in community at Thessalonica. Imagine what it would be like for you to adopt that self-image for yourself in relationship to the people that God has put in your life. That you would care for them with that degree of gentleness. And with that complete and total investment, giving out of your own self to love them like that. Why did Paul do that? He goes on to say, look, this is in verse 8. So deeply do we care for you that we are determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you have become very dear to us. 
Not just words, not just I'm going to tell you this, but I'm going to give you my whole self. That's what Paul says. I'm not going to hold anything back at all. Why? Because you'd become so dear to us. Beloved, since God has loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. That's from the letter that John wrote. That's what Paul was living here. Walking worthy is serving one another like a mother serves her own baby. Offering spiritual food. Being kind and vulnerable without demands. Giving of yourself in acts of care and love with meek and consistent sacrifice, nurturing those who are close to you. Who is God calling you to care for like a mother? If your heart is open to God, there is someone in your life that God is saying right now to you, this is how I want you to relate to that other person. That is how God will bring himself to that other person. The second image comes a bit further down. Okay, look at verse 9. Here again, Paul reminds them of what he was like when he was there. You remember, he says, our labor and toil, brothers and sisters. We worked night and day so that we might not burden any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how pure, upright, and blameless our conduct was toward you, believers. Paul here is not bragging about the kind of person he was. He's, he would never do that. He's telling them, we worked really hard when we were with you so that it, we wouldn't put any hindrance in your path to receiving the gift that we wanted to give you. He reminds them of his own integrity because integrity matters. When someone's speech doesn't match their walk, then you shouldn't believe them. And Paul's telling them, remember that we, we had integrity when we were there. You can trust what we're saying. And then he adds the second image. Look at it. And this is verse 11. As you know, we dealt with each one of you like a father with his children, urging and encouraging you and pleading that you lead a life worthy of God. This second image perfectly complements the first. A gentle nurse and a strong father. A, a dad who is capable and who joins his children on the path to stand right there beside them to be present at every single step of the journey with them so that he can cheer you on and encourage and build you up for the journey, challenging and pushing you where you need to be pushed, consoling and comforting you where your heart is broken and you can't keep going, lifting you up when you fall down because you have no strength left, but he has enough strength for you, saying to you, go ahead and put your head on my shoulder, cry all you want, I'm right here with you because you are my beloved child. I've decided to be like that with you. Every step of the way, equipping you for the journey ahead. Walking worthy also means helping people that God has put in your path like a good, strong father. Holding up, encouraging, and saying, come on, let's get going right now. Go, let's do it. Who is God calling you to strengthen like a father? This also should bring to mind a real person that you know. It might be your own children. Maybe you don't have children. It might be someone that God has put in your life. Men can be like spiritual moms to others. Women can be like spiritual fathers to people that have been in their lives by being strong. Let that person or those people come to your mind right now. God loves every person that you've ever met more than you could ever even imagine. 
And one of the ways he loves the people that he's put in your path is when you say, I will walk worthy of the calling of God. Like a mom for those folks, like a dad for those folks. Not under my own power because God never invites us to do the good work that he calls us to with our own strength. He provides every bit of strength that we need. If you think, I can't do it, of course you can't. God will empower you to when you trust him. When you are determined to go on growing in the work of faith and the labor of love, steadfast in hope, as Christ dwells in you by faith, then he will use you to help others know that he's good in the way that you carry yourselves. And that's exactly what God wants. God wants that for all of us right here. Every single one of us, he wants us to grow in that way. And it's what he wants for each and every person you'll ever interact with. Those who are uh, tuning into what we're doing together here who are near and very far away, he wants us to be built up so that we decide that no longer are we going to be flatterers. We're not going to do that. And greed is not going to drive us any longer. We're going to stop caring about what other people think of us. Seeking praise is, is a lost hope. We're going to leave that behind. Like, like good, tender moms, we're going to care for the people around us. And like fathers who are strong, we're going to join the children that God has put in our lives. And then God's going to use us as ambassadors of his. Just like God used George in Thessalonica in just the same way. Now, I never asked him, but after we left that day, I wondered if George would have thought that he could never have a very significant part in God's plan because he was only a tour guide. Not like his father, who was a famous priest for 51 years. But if he thought that, then he was wrong. I saw with my own eyes how every single person we interacted with that day was better off because they crossed paths with George. The man who sold pistachio nuts. The crossing guard who he smiled at. The guard at the gate. The owner of the restaurant and the waitress and waiter who brought our food to us. Every single one of them was lifted because of the way George was with them. Because of his smile, because of the way he put his hand on the shoulder, because of the way he listened and the words he said, because of the way he prayed. He was God's blessing that day, all day, to everyone who saw him. And what God means to do through us is to make the gospel more tangible through the way that we interact in the world. You know, I'm not sure that any of those people we saw in Thessalonica would have gone to church on Sunday. But if they did, I doubt that the sermon would have been as powerful as the witness of George. And you know, I believe the same about my own sermons. If all they ever do is make you think or feel something here, then they fail. It's your way of becoming the gospel in the world that does the real work. That's when it really happens, when we're done. My prayer is that God builds us up so that as we go out, we become the gospel in the world around us. So that the whole world begins to grow and change in the way that the gospel changes us. Thank God that he gives himself to empower us for that work. So let's ask him now to do that. In, in prayer, let's join our hearts and ask him to fill us up so that we become his vessels of love and grace in the world around. Let's do that. 
God, I thank you so much that in Christ you have invited all of us to have a hand in your mission. And that through the work of the Spirit, through your word, through the living word, Jesus, you build us up to become effective at the mission that you've invited us to. You equip us in every way to be your gospel in the world. Thank you so much for that. We thank you now for all of those people that you have put in our lives in the past who have made it easier to believe that you are good. Would you bring those folks to mind now in this moment of silence? We thank you for them, for the spiritual mothers and fathers that you've put in our lives to help us know you and trust you. We thank you for the teaching uh, that Paul did in, in his letter to the folks at Thessalonica and for the way that you speak to us through it when we gather together like we have today. Help us leave behind flattery, greed, seeking praise, and help us become folks who care for others gently and lead others with the strength that you've given us so that through us you make yourself known in this world which needs you more than anything else. God, we love you and thank you for the day that stretches before us Help us use every moment you've given us in a way that brings you joy and brings others to you. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.